I must say I love our uh, children's ministry. They do such a great job. Uh, the children are going to learn the virtue of humility this month. And uh, I was talking to my kids about their virtue and uh, says, what, what's the virtue of the month? They said, yeah, it's humidity. I don't know exactly what they're teaching them over there, but I'm sure it's good. Well, we are going to continue our series entitled Lent, Preparing for the Resurrection. And Lent is this wonderful time of year where millions of people around the world reflect upon the life, the suffering, and the death of Jesus. And for those of you new to Lent, Lent actually predates Advent. It started around the first or second century where early Christ followers wanted to identify with the sufferings of Jesus. So they gave something up. They fasted as a way to prepare for the resurrection of Jesus and to identify with the sufferings of Jesus around the fourth century when Christianity became normative and Lent became to take off and there's about a 40 day time of fasting. And some of you may have given something up during your Lenten season to prepare for the resurrection. Maybe you gave up TV or candy or others of you maybe have painted Easter eggs or went on an Easter egg hunt at the end of Lent for Easter. Anybody ever do that? Go on an Easter egg hunt or, or paint Easter eggs as, at, at Easter time. We're going to do that uh, this Easter. But that actually is part of this Lenten tradition. You may not know this, but Easter eggs became part of Lent because people were fasting from animals and animal products and so there was a, a quantity of eggs. And because refrigeration was not part of that time period, they would hard boil these eggs. And then at the end of Lent, they had a lot of eggs. So they would give eggs and they would celebrate new life and the end of the fast by eating eggs. And that's how that came about and why we have eggs part of our Lenten traditions today. But I don't know what your traditions have been or are, but Lent is more than just giving up something on uh, giving up meat. Uh, and Lent is, is more than just a certain denomination to do that. It's bigger than that. Lent is for all of us, all people around the world, to prepare for the resurrection of Jesus. Because all of Christ's teachings, all of Christ's miracles, all of Christ's suffering, and even his death point us to the resurrection. They're all whispers of the resurrection. And that's what we've been trying to listen to, these whispers of the resurrection of Jesus over these last few weeks. See, this Lenten season, we're joining millions of people throughout history, millions of people throughout the world by following the church calendar. We're following the church lectionary and the early church fathers have selected passages for people like you and people like me to prepare for the resurrection. And this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 11, verse 1. It's a wonderful story about a sick man named Lazarus and, and God doing a miracle in his family and in his life. And as you're turning there, I just want to comment briefly on some of you, uh, your emails and phone calls as you've been processing uh, last week's message as we talked about why God allows suffering. And uh, appreciate how some of you have commented, you know, I, I'm learning more about God's presence with me in the midst of my suffering. That gives me hope. It doesn't always take the pain away but it helps me endure the suffering. And we're going to continue that conversation this morning. We're going to answer that same question, why does God allow suffering by looking at this man named Lazarus that was sick? And Jesus came to visit him. In John chapter 11, verse 1, we read the following. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who performed perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, 
The one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son might be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. There's a lot to chew upon in these first few verses of the story of Lazarus. But I, what I find interesting is verse 6 where, where Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick and he stayed where he was two more days. He, he didn't do what most people do when they hear that a loved one is sick. He didn't jump up. He didn't grab the next camel to Bethany. He didn't move a muscle. He, in fact, stayed where he was two more days. That doesn't sound too loving, but clearly Jesus loves Martha and Mary. It clearly states that in verse five, the one you love is sick. And we would think the most loving thing to do would be to go and visit Lazarus, to go and help Lazarus, to go and heal Lazarus. But that's not what Jesus did. He heard that Lazarus was sick and he stayed where he was two more days because pain is inevitable. Sickness is unavoidable. As people living in a fallen world, all of us get sick at some time in our lives. We get infections. We get ear infections. We get viruses. We get diseases. Some people suffer tremendous terminal illnesses while other people lose a loved one or they lose a job or they lose a friend. But all of us get sick. All of us suffer. All of us face difficulties, even people that Jesus loves. It's sick. Even people that Jesus loves suffer. See, oftentimes in the moment of our pain, oftentimes in the moment of our suffering, we question God's love for us. Instead of saying, God, you did this to me, or instead of pointing our fingers at other people, we point our fingers at ourselves and we say, maybe I deserve this pain. Maybe I deserve this suffering. Maybe because of the mistakes that I've made. Maybe because of the sins that I committed. Maybe I put this on myself. This pain is my fault. Maybe I deserve. Maybe God is punishing me for the things that I've done wrong. And and we forget to remember these two important words. These same two words that we read last week. As we looked at the man born blind. These two words that are related and repeated in the story of Lazarus. These two words that answer the question, why does God allow suffering? And the two words are this, so that. Verse 4, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son might be glorified through it. See, so that means there's a reason for my pain. So that means that suffering is not for nothing. So that means there is a purpose to my pain, that God's going to use my pain to glorify himself. See, God allowed last week the man to be born blind so that God would complete that that work of redemption in his life. And this week, we see that Lazarus suffered so that God's son might be glorified through it, that God's glory would be revealed for the suffering that Lazarus experienced. And the first thing that we notice is that God, God doesn't take the pain away. God, God didn't take the suffering. He didn't remove it. He actually let it sit a little longer. He waited a couple days. And, and yet he loved Martha. 
He, he loved Mary. He loved Lazarus in the midst of their suffering because that's when we need God the most, right? It's in our pain. It's in our suffering. That's where God becomes that present, that ever-present help in time of need. It's when we're needy. It's when we're suffering. It's when we're in pain that God shows up so clearly. It's uh, five years ago this month that my wife and I remember the day that our daughter was diagnosed with leukemia. She was four and a half at the time, and she's healthy now. But when we first heard that Michaela uh, had leukemia, I mean, it was just crushing. And then we went through two and a half years of chemotherapy, not something that I would recommend, but it was so redemptive in our hearts. And although I wouldn't wish it on anybody, I can tell you that it changed us. It changed our family, it changed our hearts, and we experienced God's presence in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering. Because that's who God is. That's what God does. He is our ever-present help in time of need. He, he, He ministers to us. He loves us in the midst of our suffering. He's our comforter. He comforts all who mourn. That's what we learned in the Beatitudes, that God comforts those who mourn. All that turn to him will experience the comfort that only he can give. I love what it says. Uh, about the Jews. The Jews, they watched Jesus interact with Lazarus and, and his family, and they saw that Jesus wept, right? That's, that's the easiest verse in the Bible to memorize, right? Jesus wept, verse 35. And they saw that Jesus wept, that the Jews came to comfort Mary and Martha, and they saw that Jesus came to do the same. And when they saw Jesus weeping, this is what they said about Jesus. I love what it says in verse 36. Uh, it says this, Then the Jews said about Jesus, see how he loved him. Exclamation part. See how he loved him. They saw Jesus' love for Lazarus. They saw him weeping. They saw him mourning. They saw him identifying with the suffering of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And they declared, see how he loved them. See how he loved him. But they didn't quite understand Jesus' love. They didn't quite get Jesus' love. They they didn't quite understand. They saw it. They acknowledged it. But they didn't quite get it. Because if you'll notice, the Jews describe Christ's love in the past tense. Did you see that? The Jews said, see how he loved him. Past tense. See, the Jews thought the story was over. The Jews thought that the story of Lazarus was over. That he died and Jesus is weeping because he died. But God's love... Is never in the past tense. God's love is never in the past tense. God's love for us is always here. It's always now. God is ever present. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God's love is always here. It's always present. We can never say that God loved me well five years ago, ten years ago, or fifteen years ago. Because God's love for us is always here. And although it might appear that the story's over, that, that this is the end, God will use our suffering for good. God will glorify himself through our suffering. See, the first thing that we notice from Martha and Mary is that we must never judge Christ's love by our circumstances. We must never look at our difficult circumstances, our cancer, our loss, our pain, our suffering, and conclude that God doesn't love me, that, that God doesn't 
care for me. We can never say, look at all the tough things that have happened to me. Look at how I lost this or lost that. We can never say, look at all these bad things that happened to me. God must not care. He must not love me. See, that's the lie. That's the lie that Satan would like us to believe that God doesn't care, that God's not all-powerful or God's not all-loving. He cannot provide for my need. Look at all these things, all these bad things that are happening to me. See, instead of judging God's love by our circumstances, we must learn to judge our circumstances by God's love. You you may want to write that down. You you may want to, to settle on that for a little while because this is a truth that will change how we live. Instead of judging God's love by our circumstances, we must learn to judge our circumstances by God's love. See, God loves me and I get sick. God loves me and I lost my job. God loves me and I lost a loved one. God loves me and my friend is going through tremendous pain. God loves me and I'm facing conflict at work. God loves me and my friend has abandoned me. God loves me and I face difficult, painful challenges. See, God doesn't take the pain away. He redeems it. He uses it for our good and his glory. He, he, he turns our pain for good. He allowed Lazarus to get sick. See, suffering is not a wall preventing us from experiencing God. Suffering is a door with a handle that we can all open to experience God's love, God's peace, God's presence in the midst of our suffering. Instead of judging God's love by our circumstances, we must learn to judge our circumstances by God's love. Because, oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves your neighbor going through a difficult time. Oh, how he loves us. See, this Lenten season, as we journey, as we prepare ourselves for the resurrection, the lesson that we learn from Mary and Martha is that we must learn to judge our circumstances by God's love. We must learn to see the challenges that we face through the lenses of God's love for us. And it's interesting to me that Jesus said in verse 4 that the sickness will not end in death. I don't know if you noticed that, but in verse 4, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. Did you notice that? And, and, and Mary and Martha probably heard that message, right? They sent word to Jesus, and they said, Hey, this sickness is not going to end in death. And that was probably a source of hope and, and encouragement for Mary and Martha. They, they were probably hanging on to those words from Jesus. This sickness will not end in death. But do you remember the story? Remember what happened to Lazarus? What happened to him? He died, right? He didn't make it. He died. And, 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 and in verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you wouldn't have taken so long getting over here, my brother would have lived. But now he's gone. Now he's dead. Now I'm mad. But she still has, a, has, has some faith. And in verse 22, she says, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. There's this glimmer of hope in Martha's heart. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection 
at that last day. Martha says, I know he's going to rise again. There's a common belief that they would rise again at the end of the day, at the end of time. But she's saying, I want my brother today. I don't need him years and years from now. I want him now. I miss him now. I'm in pain now. And he could have, you could have helped him and saved him. And then Jesus cuts to the chase. Then Jesus reveals himself to Martha in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her suffering. Listen to Jesus' words to Martha in verse 25. To resist. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, Mary? Do you believe that there is life after death? Do you believe in me. See, Martha was focused on the here and now. Martha was focused on my brother in pain. He's dead. He's in the tomb. Martha was focused on his death and, and wanting Jesus to help, to make him alive. But Jesus wants to elevate Martha's thinking. Jesus wants to bring Martha out of the here and now and into everlasting life. Jesus says there's more to the story of Lazarus than sickness and death. See, we see the sickness. We see the suffering. We experience the pain. We see the death here and now. But God sees the big picture. God sees the beginning from the end. God allows Lazarus to suffer so that the Son of Man might be glorified through it. And for those of you that are new to the story of Lazarus, the Son of Man was certainly glorified through the death of Lazarus. You remember what happened to Lazarus? What happened to Lazarus? He rose. This man that was dead rose from the grave. It's truly an amazing miracle. Verse 38, 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved. Jesus is emotionally engaged in this story of Lazarus. Once more deeply moved, he came to the tomb. And there was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor. He's been in there for four days. It's going to be gross. It's going to smell bad. And four days is significant because that's the time period for which the Jews believed that the spirit would leave the dead person, that the spirit would hover over the dead person for three days. By the fourth day, he would leave. The spirit would leave. So Lazarus was officially dead. He's dead, dead. Maybe that's why Jesus waited a little bit longer to get there, because he is definitely Dead. And Jesus said, Do, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? You can imagine, you know, Martha and Mary, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to believe. All they know is that their brother's been dead for four days, but there's this glimmer of hope. They rolled the stone away, and then Jesus yelled in a loud voice, verse 43, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And then the unexpected happened. The miraculous happens. The amazing happens. Verse 44, the dead man came out. His hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his faith. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. He walked out like a mummy, you know, and, and he came out of the tomb and they unwrapped the grave 
cloths and they let him go. It's an amazing miracle. It's a powerful miracle. It's an amazing miracle of love and grace and power. It's the last recorded miracle in the Gospel of John. God's glory was clearly displayed in the life and the death and the resurrection of Lazarus. It's an amazing miracle. But you know what happened to Lazarus about 10, 15, 20 years later? Uh, do, do you know what happened to Lazarus, you know, after this miraculous healing from the dead? Do you know what happened to Lazarus, you know, maybe 10, 20 years later? He, he died. You know, he, he, he eventually died. We don't know when. We don't know exactly the time period. But eventually, Lazarus died. Maybe it was 5, 10, 20 years later. He died. And Mary and Martha probably had another funeral. It was the second funeral for Lazarus, they probably placed him in the tomb, maybe the same tomb that he walked out of years earlier. And the question that comes to my mind is why? Why does God even raise Lazarus from the dead just to have him die 5, 10, 20 years later? Why did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? Why did Jesus glorify himself by raising Lazarus from the dead only to have him die again? Well, the answer is found. In Jesus' prayer, just before Jesus performed this incredible miracle, Jesus prayed, verse 42, and this is what he says. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they might believe that you sent me. See, God didn't raise Lazarus from the dead just to comfort his sisters. God didn't raise Lazarus from the dead to wow the crowd. God didn't raise Lazarus from the dead just to give him some more time with his family. God raised Lazarus from the dead so that people might believe. So that people might put their faith, their trust in Jesus. Because it's one thing to raise a man from the dead just to have him die years later. And it's quite another thing to raise a man from the dead and have him live eternal life. And that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus promised to all who believe. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Put your faith, your trust in me. Don't put your faith into my good moral teachings. Don't put your faith in my example. Put your faith in me. I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will never die. Whoever's significant, whoever's critical, whoever is so important for us to understand Jesus' words, whoever means you, whoever means me, whoever means that neighbor that's suffering and pain, whoever means that person that's distant from God, whoever means the people in Japan and in Libya, whoever means all of us willing to put our faith, our trust in Jesus. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. See, that's what we celebrate at Lent. That, that's what we're preparing for this Lenten season. We don't just celebrate the miracles of Jesus. Oh, they're wonderful. 
We don't just celebrate the teachings of Jesus, though they are powerful. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We prepare ourselves for the resurrection of Jesus. See, by studying the, the, the story of Lazarus, by reading the story of Lazarus out loud with millions of people around the world, we hear whispers of the resurrection of Jesus. Because on that Friday that we call good, Jesus suffered and he died. And on the third day, he rose again. And whoever lives and believes in Jesus will never die. That's the promise. That's, that's the words of Jesus. But the challenging thing about this passage of Scripture is that we can see the beginning from the end, right? We can see the story of Lazarus, and we can see how this is going to turn out good for him and for God's glory. We can see the beginning from the end. But in our pain and our suffering, all we can see is the here and the now. All we can see is our anguish, our suffering. All we can do is feel our pain, our suffering. And we have a hard time seeing the beginning from there. We can't see the beginning from there. And that's why Jesus says, put your faith in me. Trust me. I can see the beginning from the end. I know how I'm going to use this for your good and my glory. And more than that, I am the resurrection and the life. I have overcome suffering. I have overcome death. And I'm going to use your pain, your suffering for my glory and your good. But you have to believe in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your loss, in the midst of your struggle. In the midst of your kids going awry, in the midst of your, your, your marriage going awry, in the midst of your conflict, your pain, your suffering at work, you have to leave. Put your faith, put your trust in Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes and believes in me will never die. See, instead of looking at your circumstances and judging God's love, we must look at God's love and judge our circumstances because God's love is so clearly demonstrated on the cross where he suffered and he died for us. We all deserve to die on that cross, but he took our place. He demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to die in our place. And when we clearly see the love of God displayed on the cross, we can enter into the circumstances of loss and suffering and pain with courage and with hope. Instead of judging God's love by our circumstances, we must learn to judge our circumstances by the amazing love of God. Because oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves your neighbor, your family member, your friend that is suffering. Oh, how he loves us. And he allows that suffering, that pain into our lives to glorify himself and draw us closer to him. Because he loves us. His love is always present. His love is always now. We can never say, I really had a great loving relationship with Jesus 10, 20, 15 years ago. Because his love is present. It's always present tense. He's our ever-present help in time of need. But we must believe. We must put our faith, our trust in Jesus. Would you be willing to do that this Lenten season? In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your pain. Would you be willing to put your faith, your trust in the one that said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives and believes in me will live. 
Live forever and live powerfully right here in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering and your addictions and your loss. Would you be willing to put your faith, not in the teachings of Jesus, though they are wonderful, not in the examples of Jesus, though it is powerful, to put your faith in the resurrection, Jesus. Because that's where we go in this journey of Lent. That's what Jesus did. Because it's one thing to raise a man from the life, from the dead, just to have him die again. It's quite another to raise a man back to life and have him live forever. And that's what Jesus promised. And that's what we celebrate at Lent. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the journey of Lent. And we thank you for the whispers. The whispers of the resurrection of Jesus. And how during this Lenten season, you remind us of the sufferings that we go through are not for nothing. But they can be used for your glory and our good. Because we all suffer. We all face challenges. We all have sicknesses. Maybe it's not us personally. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. And my prayer, oh God, is that you would take our pain, our suffering, and transform it for your glory for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.